Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life with Anna and Luca. Hi, guys. Hello, everyone. So today's guest is Spencer Nadolsky, who is a board-certified family and obesity physician who has helped thousands of patients over the past eight years to lose weight and keep it off. Dr. Nadolsky saw the inefficiency of working only in the clinic, so his dream was to help people lose weight via the internet using a combination of personal, in-depth coaching and telemedicine. So I am so excited about this episode because if you guys have heard me refer to like, oh, there's a doctor I follow, um, this is him. <laughs> so we finally got him on and I, I'm excited to dive into a lot of, a few questions that like I get asked the most and to hear his take on it and from an actual doctor. So Luca, what do you think? What are you excited to hear about? Well, let me just say that these memes and jokes on his Instagram accounts that are Funny, very funny. They're, awesome. They're so good. Yeah. I think it's a good way for him to get the message across, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you asking him and asking about the post, you know, what's the, the meaning behind the jokes and, you know, and, and, and the memes that he, that he posts, that would be like just a, a, a really good conversation. Yeah. And, and he's not like making jokes, like poking fun at people no. at all. What I really like about him is he's really empathetic. Like, even on his stories, when I've heard him talking, he's like, hey, you guys, like, I get it. It's hard. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. he's not just saying in your face, like, hey, this is what it is. Go do it. You know, like he he gets this struggle. So there are quite a few memes that I'm going to reference from his Instagram account for him to expand on with various topics about, you know, hypothyroidism and just losing weight overall. So here is my conversation with Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Hi, Dr. Nadolsky. How are you? Good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm really excited to chat. Can you start by sharing with everyone who you are and what you're about? Yep. Uh, so my name is Spencer Nadolsky. I am a family physician specialized in obesity and lipidology and have a background in, uh, I wrestled in college, UNC Chapel Hill, actually started playing football, ended up wrestling, kind of a long story, but I promote lifestyle as, as medicine uh, and then pharmaceuticals when necessary. So big into fitness and health and using that to cure, prevent chronic disease and make people leaner, happier, stronger, that type of thing. Do you work um, in like a traditional practice, like in a traditional doctor's office? No, not anymore. I did okay. a few years ago and then I, I'm all in the cloud now. I, I kind of yeah. think that the old style of medicine is a little bit archaic and, you know, it was it, it, it boded well since this whole pandemic thing. I didn't need to be right. in the clinic and I was able to help a lot of my, all my patients out. I have about 200 or so patients uh, in my panel. Got so it. not like yeah. the traditional 2,000, but like 200, just a few. Yeah. The, well, the reason I ask is because I feel like you have a very different approach to health than most doctors. And I was thinking like, gosh, if I could find a doctor like you, like an actual like primary care physician or whatever, like that would be amazing. What made you decide to go into medicine to begin with? 
Yeah, I, I was really into science for like sports performance to get better at sports. Um, I really wanted to be a good wrestler, a good football player. So my dad was a biology chemistry teacher and then the wrestling coach. And so we were really into using science to get better at sports. And so then I was like, well, you know, I, I think sports performance is cool. I was I'm kind of a I'm a has been now. But uh <laughs> After finishing my wrestling career, I was like, yeah, I think you know, it's fun to help people get better at sports, but I really wanted to use just that information to help people get healthier. And that's kind of the gist of it. So uh, instead of doing like the sports medicine route and working with athletes, I still do because they seek me out. But uh, I really try to use the information to help people get leaner, healthier. That's basically the gist of it. I, okay. I find more enjoyment doing that as opposed to getting people, you know, four-pack abs to six-pack abs and things right. like that. Despite, I still do that for people, but it's not as what uh, – I like reversing people's diabetes and that type of thing. Do you have a specialty for your field of study? Yeah, so in you go through four years of medical school, then you choose a um, kind of a base specialty. I chose family medicine, and then from there – I specialized further into obesity medicine and then got another board in what's called lipidology, which is like the study of cholesterol. So now I'm kind of like a, almost like a cardiometabolic specialist, even though that's not a real thing. I kind of made it up, but I, it's because I kind of uh, made my own niche or whatever you want to say. When you were studying medicine, did you feel like the healthcare system in the United States was more catered towards sick sick care versus healthcare and prevention, or what was your experience with that? Yeah, it, it it all is at this point. It still is, you know. Even though we promote using lifestyle as medicine, um, doctors will say, "Hey, you should probably diet and exercise." They're not really trained in it. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, there's not really enough time in the clinic to even if they were trained in it to actually help a patient. So, like everything right now is geared towards that. I'm not even sure if the doctor's office is necessarily the best place to promote prevention. I got into public health a little bit, and which is a lot more prominent now due to this whole pandemic thing. Nobody really knows these public health officials are doing all sorts of stuff in the background. But maybe the more ideal thing is, is you know, figuring out how to fix our environment and really kind of carve that pathway for people as opposed to on an individual level. I think they're both important, but... Um, probably finding a public health way of promoting prevention. And then as needed, you know, when you go to see the doctor, it's it's all fits in that uh, pathway as well. So kind of a nuanced thing. Where do you think someone should go if they're having like health problems? They go to a doctor, they're probably going to be prescribed medicine, which is actually what happened to me. That's how my whole health journey started. I was having a lot of digestive and GI issues. I actually had to go to the emergency room. I was having, I couldn't even stand. I was having such severe stomach issues and they were like, okay, here's the medicine. You know, like no questions about my diet or my uh, lifestyle. And um, I took the medicine as, you know, prescribed for a few months, but I could tell it was only covering up an issue. I, um, and it really was my boyfriend at the time who, since he's from Italy and they eat so fresh and natural he was looking at me eating my goldfish crackers, just being like, I think that's why, <laughs> you know, why you're having issues. And so this was kind of like my intro into um, 
learning how to actually eat healthy and feel my body. But like it took someone from a different culture, from a different country, looking at my American way of eating to be like, that's probably your issue. And I, I, I look back growing up in the United States, it blows my mind how little nutrition education there was growing up, not only in the school system, but even within my family, because I think it's the cultural piece. So where do you recommend people go to, to find that type of information? Or help. Yeah, I mean, I, ideally, doctors would be trained in it. So the, the the question is, is like, all right, should doctors be trained at the medical school level to understand this type of thing? And we, we get some courses, some schools are better than others. They're really trying to actually some schools are, are doing like what's called a culinary medicine modules where they teach you how to cook. And that way you oh. can see the benefits. And then like I have so I'm with my buddies here, they, they opened up a gym and I'll have my little studio. You can see in the background here and I have the gym next to me. And then I want to build a little kitchen for a studio to take video. And then also, uh, to take patients in case, like, Hey, here's what it looks like as a serving. If you don't watch my videos or you can watch my videos, but here's a serving of this. Here's a serving of that. Here's, here's an easy way to cook. So whether it should be doctors, I don't know. I don't think their infrastructure can handle it right now. Normal primary care, you, you go in 10, 15 minutes. They're probably not going to have uh, a kitchen in there. I, I think ideally in the future we would uh, have all those yeah. components, but that's that's kind of a, that's a very progressive um, uh, idea. So where do you, where do you go? Well, the idea is that doctors should be able to refer to like registered dietitians who would then have the capabilities of doing that in the time insurance doesn't necessarily pay for them unless it's for a disease state and it's, it's very finicky. Um, so then, yeah, who do you send to? I'm not really sure. It should be the dietitians, but then people, you know, then get mad about how dietitians are necessarily trained. There's, there's a lot of issues there that might be reserved for another podcast, but it's not a perfect system. In fact, it's far from perfect at this point. To your point about you felt that it wasn't the best place uh, to get your messaging across or to help people in a you know standard doctor's office, you are on social media sharing your message, which is how I found you. And I do agree. I think that 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 is one of the best ways to reach people these days. And there's a lot of noise on Instagram. There's a lot of BS and there's a lot of false information. And we do need people like you that are, you know, shouting from the rooftops, making memes along the way (laughs) of, you know, what, you know, what the truth is. So how did you get started on social media? Yeah, it was, it was in residency, like 20, you know, 12 or whatever it was, I was big into Facebook. And so I just started sharing patient success stories and kind of little tidbits of help. And grew my Facebook, you know, I don't have a huge following on Facebook, but very loyal, like a very strong following, not like a million followers, but a good, uh, it's almost like 40,000 now, but But loyal is what matters. It's not the numbers. Yeah, no. So so. I mean, they they were, I mean, like they all acted as if they were all my patients, not, you know, they couldn't be at the time. And so I started there and then eventually started making kind of infographics, like I would compare the first big one I did was um, comparing like peanut butter cups, regular peanut butter cups to like Justin's organic peanut butter cups. I'm like, these are pretty much the same. They're both like highly processed, tasty, easily overeaten food, same calories and macros. 
I had a patient that came in and it was like, I eat all organic. I don't know why I can't lose weight. I mean, most of my stuff comes from patients. Like when you, that's why it's when people are like, I relate to that. I'm like, I know, because I didn't, it's not like I made it up. My patient said something and I'm like, what are you talking about? And so then I make little memes and infographics based on (laughs) the interactions. So um, (laughs) one of my patients said they couldn't lose weight. They're eating all organic. I'm like, what, what organic foods are you eating? And then they started describing these like just highly processed Organic, just because it said organic, it's a health halo. They thought that that was going to help them lose weight. Simple concept, and people are like, nobody actually thinks that. I'm like, no, a ton of people think that. So that's why I made the, this peanut butter cup meme. And I was like, look, it doesn't matter. You're, you're, if you're eating this stuff, look, it, yeah, it is all about the calories, but it's still candy, basically. Right. That meme went viral, but that it was it went viral in like 2014. That was before everybody was doing that. So then eventually I started making more of those. Uh, and then eventually I was like, you know, it's not really my personality. I'm, I, I like making jokes. So uh, yeah. I was like, I'm going to make memes now. Yeah. Anyone who goes to your page, I think can quickly tell that you like jokes and memes and I love them too. And I think that it's a really great way to present that information in a less kind of clinical way that yeah. is like, you know, more relatable. So anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it's not super doctorly because sometimes I make yeah. ne- never like too offensive or off color type of jokes, but more of like, you know, straightforward, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is why you're not losing weight type of thing. And then in the comment section or, or the the caption, I'm, I try to then go, look, you know, this isn't really my bedside manner. My bedside manner is to be very empathetic and understanding, but like, yeah. but then this is a way to kind of like make a joke about it type of thing. So yeah, I think that's what really drew me to your content was that you are so em- empathetic, but you are like very tough love. Like these are the facts. This is right. the science, you know, like you're not going to sugarcoat it or beat around the bush. Um, so you present the information, but kind of make light of it or make a joke out of it. And right. I, I feel like that's a really great way to communicate. And it's kind of how like I've always from the beginning of my journey, like I never subscribe to the idea that you can like shame someone into losing weight or like shame an obese person into becoming skinny. I think that that's only going to exacerbate the problem, whatever underlying issues they have that led to their obesity. And I think you were the first like doctor that I saw that kind of had that same approach that, you know, kind of was very lighthearted, but still really informative. So I really appreciate your content. Thank you. Um, So I uh, have a few of your Instagram posts that I screenshotted uh, that I want to reference and have you elaborate on. Your Instagram is like a treasure trove for me of like different topics we could go in on. So um one that I have right here is you said, um, the title says you, your obesity is not likely your thyroid. So, and this is a topic that I've heard you talk on a lot. And this is also something that really drew me into your content because I, um, through my TTC and IVF journey, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism, but like, I never had any symptoms of it. And like, I'm, I have to take Synthroid now supposedly for the rest of my life. And, and like just learning how this is supposedly going to impact my weight loss or weight gain. Um, so can you talk more about how thyroid and how that impacts, uh, weight loss? Yeah. So I, I started a YouTube channel cause I was like, you know what, I, maybe I can use a different medium to kind of communicate as opposed to just little memes. So I was like, I'll do both. Yeah. I'll make videos, be informative, uh, in a different fashion see if I can pull this off. But, um, so I have Hashimoto's, uh, thyroiditis. So I oh, was diagnosed. I didn't in, know that. 
Yeah, yeah, in in, in medical school. So it's been um, twelve years. Oof. And uh, so I, I was really into it. I almost did endocrinology, but uh, the endocrinologists, they end up going further into like thyroid cancers and stuff that I was like, I'm not really interested in that. I, I like preventive medicine, which would you try to hit people before they have to go to the endocrinologist right. or the cardiologist, but whatever. So the thyroid uh, controls our, a lot of our metabolism. So And our metabolism is made up by all the metabolic processes in our body, whether it's muscle protein synthesis or bone turnover or cholesterol uh, turnover recycling. All these things are manipulated by our thyroid. So if if you have a low amount of thyroid uh, hormone in your body, your metabolic rate and your metabolic processes will be lowered. If you have too much or hyperthyroidism, they'll be revved up a little bit and your metabolic rate will be higher. So when people go to the doctor, and I made a, a joke about this, but everybody's like, I have, uh, I can't lose weight. It must be my thyroid. It can't, it can't be that I'm simply overeating because that's too simple, right? So they always go and then the thyroid normal levels are usually normal. Again, you, you, you see these cases where it's like, oh gosh, yes, someone missed that or yeah, we should probably treat that. And so then you, you know, if it is the thyroid, you, you get treated. But the thing is like when you have hypothyroidism, when it comes back, and yeah, your thyroid levels are low and you may recheck to make sure. And then you may even check what's called the thyroid antibodies because the most common cause in the United States, at least, is um, uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease where your body starts attacking your own thyroid. So that's what I have. Most common. We don't know exactly what it is. It, who knows? Is it all of our these environmental things? Is it partly genetic? It's probably all of it, all of the above. Uh, who knows? I don't know what started mine. I know I have some genetic component predisposes me to it, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. Once you have that, though, people think that it's like a death sentence or whatever you want to say for never being able to lose weight. But really, the the weight you gain from it is mostly like fluid in your tissues. It's not actually a lot of fat. If if it goes undiagnosed for long periods of time and your metabolic rate's a little bit lower, you, you probably will see some fat gain, but a lot of it's actually like fluid gain. So like 10 or, or so pounds that you've gained in the past however many months, you're like, oh my God, it's my thyroid. And you know, and then you take the medicine, your metabolic rate goes up and then that fluid comes off and you're like, you're feeling better. So I did a whole video on, on how like, actually it's mostly fluid and it's usually not your thyroid, but if it is, watch this. I'll go over the treatment options. There's multiple treatment options you really want to be optimized because, yeah, you do want your metabolic rate to be up. But it's not even that. It's also about feeling good so that you can do those habits right. that we know are going to be better for weight loss. So, like, if you don't feel well, you're not going to want to exercise. You're not going to want right. to cook. You're not going to want to do these things. You're going to feel tired and depressed and not want to eat your vegetables and that type of thing. So I have a question. Let's say that someone had an undiagnosed thyroid disorder, whether it's hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's or Graves even. Um, If they are eating in a caloric deficit, is it still possible for them to not be able to lose weight because of the thyroid disorders or no? Yeah, so the caloric deficit will just, in order to be in a caloric deficit, it will be a a lower amount of of calories that you have to take in. So by definition, if they're in a caloric deficit, they'll lose weight no matter what. Now, it may be somewhat blurred because of the fluid collection that you get when you're not treating your own, when you're not getting 
treated. But what people will say is that I have hypothyroidism and they're mostly treated though. Like you don't want to just let your hypothyroidism go untreated. People are like, well, I want to treat it naturally. Well, once your thyroid's dying it's, it's, it, and your thyroid's not producing uh, enough hormone, it's really hard to, to fix that. You may lower your antibodies, but that may slow the progression of, of the disease. But if your thyroid's not producing enough, it's probably not going to come back. So most people are on replacement dose. Their metabolic rate goes back to normal. And they say, it's impossible for me to lose weight. That's, that's not, it's absolutely untrue. What, what's likely happening is that their perceived effort is much higher because they just don't feel as well. Uh, and that's possible. And what we see is it, it's people that are treated maybe with T4 only, which is like Synthroid or Thyroxine. And there's a subset of people that just, for whatever reason, at the cellular level, so T4, the, the stuff our thyroid m- makes mostly and the stuff we usually take by mouth, the active thyroid is T3. So it has to get converted over into T3. And you can check your T3 levels in your blood, but like it's not as indicative as what's going on at a cellular level where the, where the true action of the thyroid hormone is taking place. So like there's a subset of people that are thought that maybe don't have a, they're not converting as well or something like that. So then in those people, we give them a combination of T4 and T3 and hopefully make them feel better. The other problem is there's a huge overlap for some reason with those who have Hashimoto's thyroiditis and like depression and whether it's a, a whether it's from the antibodies or whatever else for me personally like whenever something's going off and I don't feel well I'm like it's got to be my thyroid but it's not necessarily and so like I blame everything on my thyroid and that's what I think <laughs> happens I do I mean I'm just like it's got to be my thyroid and I get my levels checked I don't change anything and all of a sudden a month goes by nothing else is different and I feel better and it may have just been something else so there's a lot of overlap with other issues. Thyroid symptoms can seem like everything else. Uh, and then, yes, there are people that do have conversion um, issues from that T4 to T3. We give them a combination. So there are people that feel like I can't do anything and I can't lose weight. And it's probably because they just feel like they're working hard. And it's not necessarily, they're not lying. It's just, mm-hmm. it's 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 a part of life type of thing. It's a yeah. Um, psychology and, and everything. So if someone has their thyroid disorder properly treated with medicine and they are in a caloric deficit, then they should, a true caloric deficit, yeah. then they should be losing yeah, weight, Yeah, absolutely, right? 100%. Okay. Are there any cases that, because like I, I get these, you know, clients too, and they're like, no, but like I have been eating in a caloric deficit. I have been tracking everything. I have been measuring everything. I have this, you know, thyroid disorder and I just can't lose weight. And I never want to say that anything is an absolute, like, you know, that like it is only a caloric deficit. That's the only thing that matters because I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. This is not my area of specialty to even begin to say, but are there any rare cases where someone genuinely that caloric deficit just is not working for them? Is it in those cases of people that have the levels that are abnormal? So what, what would actually, what would likely be happening is that, well, there could be a few things that are going on. Like I said, it could be that the fluid mm-hmm. differences might be there to where it's blurring the amount of weight loss to where a lot of these people, it, like, look, if they're if they're 200, 250, 300 pounds and they're not losing weight, it's like, 
you're you're just not in a caloric deficit. But if you're, yeah. I see a uh, a lot of more of not physique competitors. I do see a lot of physique, but it's more of like yeah. the 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 leaner women mm-hmm. who want to lose like five to ten pounds, and where that's where it's like, man, yeah, your calories do need to get pretty low in order to have that effect because you're already pretty lean, and it's miserable to do that, and then yeah. it's. And then you may have some fluid that's blurring the weight loss. You feel like you're on this treadmill. So that's likely what's going on. Having said that, there are other things like there's something called lipedema where where you have kind of an inflammatory, these fat stores in your lower legs that actually won't, you will not lose that fat with a caloric deficit. You'll lose fat other places, but your legs will kind of be blocky. And so that can sometimes be missed. Um uh, so there's a lot of things that will blur it, but if you're in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight by definition. It's you, you can't have substrate out of nothing. Like it's the conservation of of energy and mass. Like you, if you just ate nothing, you would wither away. You would have nothing to sustain right. yourself. So, but <laughs> okay. but it's 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 that perceived effort is so high because you just don't yeah. feel as well. And and the amount that they have to eat may be on the lower end if they're a shorter. Um, especially if they don't have a lot of uh, just structure, mass on their structure in the first place. So that's possible. Okay. Um, The next ones you posted, you said, yes, calories count when trying to lose weight. No, you don't have to count calories when trying to lose weight. So I I really liked this post because I also get a lot of of women coming to me who come from disordered eating backgrounds. They're like, well, I can't track macros, but I want to see progress. And that's a really tough place to be in. Um, so can you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So, and this is, this gets confusing for people for some reason. Um, and it's probably because of the whole diet culture thing and the macros calories thing. So it's, I'm, I'm very careful, uh, in the clinic, I didn't have this issue, but online it's a, it's kind of a selection bias where it's people that have are chronically dieting or in one place. And then it's mixed in with people that just that do want to lose their weight for health purposes. So, so first of all, people can go low carb or plant based and whatever. They don't count their calories and they lose tons of weight because their diet, whatever they do, or intermittent fasting even, it puts them in a caloric deficit without having to count the calories. So there are ways to lower your energy and intake with just out ha- without having to count. And that's that's the ideal way, honestly. I, if there's a way to not be tedious that doesn't impede your your lifestyle. That's the best. And unfortunately, we're not great at uh, measuring portions of food and, and whatever. And we eat a lot more than we think subconsciously, not consciously necessarily. Yeah. Um, so that's why the weighing, at least in, in looking at everything and tracking everything works in, in, in the beginning, at least. So what I what we do, with, like with Renaissance periodization, we do like meal templates. And it's this idea of having... Uh, like for you have a, a portion of protein, it doesn't have to be tilapia or some ridiculous mm-hmm. um, fish or something like that. <laughs> it and it doesn't have to be eggs. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything specific, but it could be it could be shrimp. It could be yogurt. It could be a low fat cheese. It could be uh, it could be eggs, eggs white, egg whites. It could be a lean sirloin. Sh- you know, shrimp and those types of things. Uh, and then we give a portion of like starch, and that could be oats. It could be. Um, it could be sweet potatoes. It could be some sort of pasta, and and you can also com- you have a, a portion of fruits or whatever for your carbs. And then for 
fat, same type of thing. It could be almonds or it could be, it could be some sort of olive oil or whatever. And then, um, and then we always have a couple cups or one or two cups of like non-starchy vegetables for a filling effect and for your micronutrients. Mm-hmm. So like with that way, we're, we're improving the quality. So like with a Mediterranean type of diet, when somebody say, go to do a Mediterranean diet, just follow these kind of principles. Do, go do a plant-based diet, follow these principles. Go do a low-carb ketogenic diet, follow these principles, but don't count. So with, with the way that we do it, it's, it kind of gets a hybrid of, of the two. You not only have portions of food, um, but you're also improving the quality. So it's a little bit more precise than just following a dietary pattern not as precise as weighing and tracking every little morsel that goes into mm-hmm. your mouth. So it's just a different way of doing it. But like there are multiple ways of going about it. The other thing is I, when, when people have like disordered eating, you're very careful about even, even talking about weight loss or, or we, we probably want to change the goal, the outcome goal. And we may want to just focus on certain behaviors that aren't scale focused type of thing. So um, I'm actually doing a video today on on, <laughs> on on the scale and plateaus and like, yeah, it's great. Here's here's like the gist of like an algorithm that I use. But like in the beginning, we probably want to figure out if you should be even focusing on this in the first place. So we got to be very careful in the clinic when I see people for obesity, it's like very clear. Yep, you lose about this much weight. It's probably going to resolve your blood pressure your your cholesterol that type of thing but online you know when you know someone's screen name pops up i need to lose 10 pounds and you're kind of looking at it you click on their profile it's like oh man i don't know if they should be even trying this and so you so it's first we got to determine whether you should be doing it or not and then and then then you go down the line yeah makes sense great now, what about lifting weights to boost your metabolism? So this was a post that you did recently, and it's a topic that um, I, a lot of times when girls start my my programs and my Fit Body app, uh, we have a macro calculator when they first go into the app and the calories that they get, a lot of times our girls are like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to eat this? And it, and it puts them in a deficit, yeah. you know, but it, um, and a lot, the, I, I do think that a lot of people are stuck on like that standard 1200, you know, caloric deficit number, which is, you know, very, you know, definitely not a great recommendation for like, you know, everyone. Um, but so a lot of times they get that number, but one of the questions that it asks them is how often are you working out? And my, you know, workouts are strength focused. And so it is going to increase, you know, based off of their, uh, their TDEE, you know, their, their activity level. And what happens a lot of times is those first few weeks, they'll be like, I can't eat all this food. But then once like after strength training and everything, um, they are all of a sudden like, oh, I, I, I actually can eat all this. Like, and so they always like, oh, my metabolism is revving. My metabolism is up. So uh, can you share a bit more on what lifting weights does to your metabolism and also to your appetite? Yeah. So I did a full video on like why weightlifting should be a part of like a comprehensive weight loss program. Everybody thinks just do cardio and I'm, and I dispel a few myths. So people think that, all right, I'm going to build a bunch of muscle. I'm going to rev my metabolism up. But the way that it works is that muscle doesn't have that much higher of a metabolic uh, activity than fat. Fat is actually, it's not completely inert. It's hormonally active and then metabolically active. Let's say you lost 50 pounds of fat and gained Mm -hmm. 
10 pounds of, of muscle, like, or even just kept your muscle, would that actually boost your metabolic rate? Like the differences between the, the uh, calories that fat's burning and the muscles burning, it's like four, it's like four calories per pound or something like that per day. Something it's, it's pretty small. So you'd have to build a ton of muscle to really boost up your meta, your basal metabolic rate, what you just burned doing nothing. Now, the thing is though, as you lose weight, you want to retain that you do want to retain that muscle as much as possible, obviously to look good and whatever, well, you know, everybody's about the vanity, but from a metabolic standpoint, it's about keeping that muscle to be able to continue to do more. So like you said, with your total daily energy expenditure, that's really where it comes into play. When you're stronger, can move more, you end up burning more calories during the day as opposed to that basal uh, metabolic rate. So, and then the other thing is our body may have this compensatory mechanism to where if we're trying to lose weight and we do lose that fat-free mass or our, our muscle and maybe even bone tissue, we may, our bodies fight to regain weight no matter what, like that's, we have these set points. And so if you retain that fat-free mass or the muscle and the bone, we may not have as much of a driver to regain weight in the first place. So um, that helps. And then also if you have more muscle, you have more places to store sugar and and your glycemia and, and blood sugar control and all that stuff should be better. So uh, don't think about it as like, oh, I'm going to rev up my metabolism, basal metabolism, but it's probably revving up your daily energy expenditure regardless. And in terms of appetite, it's, it's, it's a little bit individual. Some, um, because aerobic training long distance, low intensity aerobic training may, it depends on the individual, but may have an increase in your appetite. High intensity interval training may decrease your appetite a little bit. And then weightlifting is kind of mixed. It's thought that it's probably in the end, it probably does help with appetite a little bit. But um, what these, if, if these people weren't, if your clients weren't working out before, they they may have an increase in appetite um, compensatory-wise, but it may be that they're now fueling their performance type of thing, which is kind of right. an interesting concept. So yeah. that's likely what's happening. And their body also adapts to trying to eat more too. Your stomach may expand um, and tolerate the foods uh, a little bit more. Got it. Okay. Um, you also did a post, uh, and it, it was a meme, when you think back to all the fad diets you tried in the past, and you said that you actually, you implied that you had tried some. Is that true? And if so, which ones? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on what your definition of a fad diet is. I mean, like intermittent fasting, I wouldn't call it necessarily a fad, but it's definitely at least in the past few years, was kind of the new hot thing. Mm -hmm. I've I've done that. I've pretty much done everything. I've done vegan for a couple weeks. Uh, I did keto for a few weeks, uh, intermittent fasting, all sorts of things like that. Never did any like grapefruit or cabbage soup diet or something like those are like real fads where it's like, okay, that's ridiculous. At least yeah. intermittent fasting has clinical data behind it and, and ketogenic and plant-based diets. I, I'd call... Those are fads in a way that they're like just hot and people want to try them just because they see them in the news, but they do have clinical value depending on the person. So I've, I've done all those. Um, another one you said, uh, it's a meme that says my prescription for everyone that has a plate of like salmon and like a salad, yeah. weights and sleep. Now, of course, we know like the eating and the exercise part, you know, we, we know why that's in the mix, but I want to talk about sleep. 
and how that impacts people's um, ability to lose weight. And um, overall, like, I'm curious about your suggestion of if someone is sleep deprived and like, where's that threshold of how sleep deprived, if they should forego working out or not. Personally, what I always tell people, I'm, I'm, I'm not in this to have people like bash their bodies into the ground. Like I want people to feel their best mentally, emotionally, and physically. And I've always said, Hey, like if you have gotten, let's say like, you know, less than five hours of sleep or for you, if that's too little sleep and you feel like you're not going to get a great workout in working out is probably going to do more harm than good. You should probably get a few extra hours of sleep. Again, I'm not a doctor, so I would love to hear what you think about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I, so this, the way sleep deprivation would uh, ruin your, not ruin or worsen your fitness yeah. goals, um, body composition goals, whatever. First, by appetite and cravings, there are changes in our appetite that occur with sleep deprivation, metabolic disturbances such as like insulin resistance just with a, a night of of sleep deprivation and obviously it gets worse as it as you continue on that pathway so increase your appetite then there's other little things that increase our cravings our endocannabinoid um, uh, system which kind of like uh, you know like if people are smoking marijuana it activates that you get the munchies type of thing um, <laughs> that can disrupt that to where we'd get you know potentially get uh, munchies from just not sleeping well. I, I noticed that when I would do two weeks of nights in residency, by the end of the two weeks in the middle of the night, instead of going to the calf and getting the meat and vegetables, I was like, I can't, I can't, that looks disgusting to me right now. Yeah. I need Rice Krispies and bananas. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's, it, was, it, was, it was like, I, could, I couldn't, it was like, and so I understand. So there's that. Then there's possible, there's a few studies that may should, Jess, where they, they looked at two groups looking at uh, weight loss, one where they're sleep deprived and, um, and another where they weren't. And uh, the people that were sleep deprived lost more fat free mass. I think they need to repeat these studies to see like mechanisms why, but it may be yeah. uh, increased catabolic processes that, hmm. uh, in, like I said, you want to retain your fat free mass. So like your body composition worsened as you tried to diet without as much sleep. Uh, some interesting yeah. stuff there. I wonder if it, and you said they said it was fat-free mass, so it wasn't lean muscle tissue that they lost. Well, yeah, no, it could, yeah, it could, it, it, it could have been, it could have been muscle, uh, okay, probably okay. muscle, uh, likely muscle. Um, yeah. But again, I, there are some of these, there are small studies. I think they need to redo that. I would say wow. probably most, uh, it would mostly be from appetite uh, differences, and like you're not going to feel like going to the gym, you're not going to feel like cooking. Again, all those little things that contribute right. to our our daily habits. But then there's probably a hormonal, or hormonal process that goes on too that likely changes our nutrient partitioning, where we're storing uh, and where we're uh, uh, burning. So if we're burning, we're utilizing muscle and breaking down muscle versus building muscle or preserving muscle and, and burning fat type of thing. So likely okay. that. And then so like when it comes to what should we prioritize, I think, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're going to the gym five days a week and you're losing sleep because of that, it's probably safe to drop that to going to the gym two or three times a week and getting more sleep the other days. That's, that's kind of my rule of thumb. Uh, you don't, you don't need to go to the gym five days a week to be, to have success. I mean, if you're going to be a, probably a professional bodybuilder, yeah that's your job but if right. you're going more for that recreational just want to look 
just want to look yeah. pretty good, be healthy two or three times a week. Likely three times is ideal, uh, but uh, even dropping it down to two times once in a while just to get more sleep okay. is probably a good idea. Have you ever heard of any threshold of like, and I'm sure it depends on the person and kind of where they function best at, um, a threshold for how much sleep that you should get before you, you know, decide to work out or? Yeah, it, I generally say uh, seven to nine hours. It depends on the individual. So yeah. like, yeah, you're going to have a baby and it's going to go out the window. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. And like genuinely, however long I need to be out of the gym, you know, for obvious reasons, I'm I'm personally really okay with it. Um, I just see a lot of, you know, people posting about like, almost like they wear like a badge of honor. Like I only slept three hours last night, but I'm getting my workout in. And deep yeah. down, I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> that's not something that you should be striving for or even be broadcasting and like telling people that this is okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know it, it definitely depends on each person. I, and I know that like some people just kind of, you know, I, as I'm going to be a new mom soon, there's going to, I'm going to begin to have to function with a certain number of hours. And I think a lot of people kind of just get used to that being their normal. Yeah. And then once they, they're able to work out. So anyways. All right. So another one, it says, damn, excuse my language for anyone listening. Uh, I stepped in some crap and in the bottom of the shoe says DNA diets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I really, I laughed at this one because I have seen not only quote unquote fitness professionals, you know, talking about DNA diets or, you know, dieting for your body type, or if you're an ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph, et cetera. Um, but I, I see actual, you know, clients who are like, well, I'm following this because I'm an, I'm an ectomorph. So obviously they're, they're taking in that, that recommendation as though that that's what they need to be eating. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, there's absolutely no data to support eating for your body type. I mean, that's just, it's so ridiculous. There are these, I mean, these marketers are brilliant. They're brilliant. Yeah. I see them on YouTube. There's one guy and I'm sure there's other people that copy um, because it basically makes people think like, oh, uh, that's why nothing worked in the past. I have to mm -hmm. use a special diet for my special uh, <laughs> body type. But there's no clear definitions of what your body type is. And it doesn't mean like the principles are principles. If you eat in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight. It doesn't matter. If you lift weights in a certain way, uh, at least two or three times a week, you're probably going to preserve or build muscle. If you eat a sufficient amount of protein, you're likely going to have a better chance of holding on to that muscle as you lose the fat. Like these are the principles. It just doesn't matter. Uh, I, I honestly hate these marketers. I mean, just like you would put them up in a, in a scientific discussion and they would just be like, um, uh, they can't back up their claims, but they sound, they're slick and they sound great. I've seen their commercials and I'm like, you know, and I've taken marketing courses and whatever and going and before I'd, I, I'd hate them before and I couldn't really articulate why. But now it's like they know what they're doing. They yeah. just know how to prey on uh, unknowing people. And some may say, what's the harm? Uh, the harm is that, sure, they're going to help some people. People are going to get started. And, and, and the, but the problem is they're going to if those people have success, which is fine, it's good. But they're going to tell other people, you got to do this. And there are going to be so many people that we will not see. And I get them in my clinic. Most people are going to fail. And those right. people that fail are going to keep thinking, oh, no, I must be broken because mm -hmm. even this didn't work. It didn't. It worked for this person. This worked. It's because they didn't teach the actual principles. They're not broken. It's just hard. It's hard to lose weight and keep it off regardless of who you are. 
it's not something special like your body type. So I hate these people. The, 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 the DNA dieting, though, uh, it goes an extra level. Basically, no, it's not your body type or whatever. It's based off of your genetic composition. And the thing is, there's, there's truth to that. The, the problem is we are not anywhere close to understanding what an individual should be eating based on, uh, on their genes currently. There are some suggestions, but then when we've done studies and looked at the differences in weight loss comparing different diets, it, doesn't, it just doesn't matter at this point. So again, the principles, if you're in a caloric deficit, yeah. you're going to lose weight. Uh, if there's a difference in maybe the, the composition of your diet, it's going to be they're, they're going to be, it's going to be a cherry on top compared to the caloric mm -hmm. deficit and some of the principles that we know, eating sufficient protein and resistance training and getting more physical activity and sleep. Like it's just, it's, it's so small relatively. Um, but yeah, eventually I think we're going to see, we're going to probably know more. It's just, we're not there yet. And people yeah. are already taking this, this science in its infancy and promoting it as uh as gospel. And that's, that's also problematic again, because they're making it seem like there's something special out there when we really just don't know yet. Right. And I feel like those are more the people that are playing into the whole diet culture problem. Yeah. It's not so much people that are trying to help people get healthy and losing weight is either a part of that or just simply a cherry on top. It's the people who are preying on people's insecurities. Right. And, and like you said, you know, they're unfortunately great marketers. So um, my last question for you, and this might be a little bit more of a personal one than the questions I've asked thus far. Um, the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the point that I want to drive home is that there's no such thing as one best life. We all have different experiences and different priorities of what is important to us. So for you, what do you feel is either an experience in your life or just a lesson or something you hold on to that has allowed you to live your best life? Yeah, honestly, when it comes to everything, consistency and hard work will get you to success, of course. I mean, we could get into the the privilege of whatever. I mean, there's also that's going on right now. Uh, so your environment does matter, but I will say that no matter what it is, consistency and hard work will get you further. Uh, I can't say you're going to be the most successful person in whatever endeavor, but yeah. consistency and hard work will get you. Will will move the needle. Uh, doesn't matter whether it's academics for me or athletics. Um, or helping patients understand that to get them to lose weight, whatever. Uh, for me now, it's currently like business stuff, and there are no hacks. Unfortunately, I wish there were hacks, because <laughs> right. uh, I'd be all about them. And then again, those that comes back to those marketers that are promoting hacks, and it really, it just they just don't work. I've 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 actually tried many hacks for business stuff. I've tried so many to the point where I feel silly sometimes going like, <laughs> like, why did I do that? I was just trying to do the same thing my patients do when they take fat burners and detox. Right. And I'm, I understand it. And so I've yeah. pretty much got the gist now, I think. But uh, cons consistency and hard work, really. Got it. Amazing. And can you also let everyone know where they can find and follow you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram at Dr. Nadolsky, D-R-N-A-D-O-L-S-K-Y. And then um, uh, YouTube, uh, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Uh, you can find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you, Dr. Nadolsky, so much. I really appreciate this incredibly informative um, session. And uh, I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. 
So that was my conversation with Dr. Nadolski. Luca, what did you think? It was really interesting, uh, very insightful. And I really liked what he said about uh, people that are having thyroid problems, thyroid issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and also that he has Hashimoto's. Like That's that right. really shocked yeah. me. I was not expecting yeah. that. And then he said, the problem is they can lose weight. Well, they can if they're in the caloric deficit, but you know, the effort perceived if right. you have a thyroid issue, it's much larger than if you don't. And, you know, if you are, he said, if you are depressed, if you don't feel well, well, you're likely not going to exercise. You're likely not going to cook, right? right? So I think that was really interesting uh, because, yeah, your hormones really impact not only your overall well-being, right? So if you have a thyroid issue, you know, uh, you just might not feel well and not feel well enough to exercise. Right. Yeah. And I really liked also him uh, talking about the DNA diets because like I see these two and it's like, like I said, guys, like I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Like I don't know the science. Like I I have a pretty good understanding of like what does and doesn't work and the science behind it, but all these other little kind of subcategories, um, you know, we need someone like Dr. Nadolsky to really speak on it. And he did. He did. I know, I know. <laughs> it was pretty clear yeah. that he really doesn't like it. It's all a marketing, really. It, well, it yeah. is. And what's, what, what, what sucks is the marketing is what sells people and like the, the really um, kind of like buzzwordy things are way more exciting than saying just eat in a caloric deficit and work out. Ta-da! Like, that's not exciting, you know? So, like, it's way more exciting to be told, like, oh, this is why you haven't lost weight. And really, like I said, appeal to people's insecurities. And so I feel like if you ever see something that is appealing to something that you're like, oh, this is why I can't do it. Like, that's probably a pretty good sign that it's just, you know, I'm going to empty your wallets and not, you know, I don't want to say it's not going to work, but it's not going to work for the reason that they're saying like he said some people can see progress of eating because you're an ectomorph or a mesomorph or a dna diet but the reason why you're losing weight is not because it's a dna diet it's because you're just now in a caloric deficit so just like you said you know behind keto and intermittent fasting you know there is a lot of clinical studies so they're valid but what they do they put you they put you in a caloric deficit and another thing that he said that i thought was really interesting this is referencing the post that he did that said yes calories count when trying to lose weight. No, you don't have to count calories when trying to lose weight. Right. And how he said that one way that people do that is through like doing low carb or doing low fat. And that that is an acceptable way to get into a caloric deficit without, you know, needing to count. I was actually surprised to hear that because, you know, I've always been so in a way kind of anti cutting out food groups, you know, but I do see his point of like, you know, if you don't want to count, then just, you know, do low carb. And that is naturally, most likely, it's not a guarantee. It still still comes down to your other portions, but most likely, right, going to put you into a caloric deficit. So I I was in a way like surprised, but happy to hear that like, that's something that he would say would be okay to do. However, I do still think it's really important for people to understand that the reason why they're losing weight is not because they cut carbs. Carbs are not the culprit, they're not, you know, they're not evil. It's because that is kind of indirectly putting you in a caloric deficit. So, so guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was very informative and I would love to hear what part of it was your favorite. So be sure to head to Insta or the Facebook group to let us know. And we will talk to you guys next time. 
And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production. 